I'm less than just a little bit stressed. And hot in Long Beach right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just came back from the grocery store and the, the thermometer outside of my front door when I left about an hour ago said 90 degrees already. Ooh. And I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs> That's yeah. a rough day. Thank goodness for AC and, and that blessing. And just staying indoors sometimes, you know, because with everything going on outside, just chilling out inside is okay too, you know? Just roll out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we think we're, we're blessed to have uh, homes that we can comfortably chill in. Very blessed. Yes. Very blessed. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Let's get into it a little bit. Can you tell us the history of like BLM in like Long Beach? The history of BLM in Long Beach? Ah, uh, well, um, yeah, from my perspective, we started, uh, like Black Lives Matter in general, um, the night of the verdict, Trayvon Martin, in some ways. Um, I was in Chicago, um, and I was uh, with my mom and my, my aunt, and we were waiting on the verdict, and there was, uh, you know, the air was palpable. It was uh, heavy. We were you know, enjoying each other's company, but, but anticipating what the results would be and thinking and saying periodically, well, the dude has to be found guilty. He's not a cop. And that was a kid. And he's a man. And he attacked a man. And a man attacked a kid. And he was told not to do that. So he has to be found guilty. Well, when he wasn't, I, I can't, it's really hard. When he wasn't found guilty, I, I kid you not, it felt like the floor opened up and something some energy just sucked all the air out of the room and my mom and aunt in my mind my mom and aunt and i were were floating and because we, we were looking around at each other and it was like we just magically just reached to each other because we it was tragic it was it was just that was tragic and i i, I felt myself sort of falling but falling with them because we were in a collective thought about what that meant that that man had been allowed to hunt and kill that child simply because he was black and of his own racism and i would argue his own delusion and self-hatred as a person whose mother comes from a colonized country um so that was so you know i got a call that night from um uh I got some text messages and a call saying, hey, we're, we're going to meet in Lamert Park. Wow. You know, we need to gather up. And I was like, I'm in Chicago. I'm in Chicago. I can't, but I'm with y'all. I'm with you. You know? Um, and so I got back, and that night was the birth of the Black Lives Matter Los Angeles chapter. Wow. And so um, I got home, and we all fell in uh, to the BLM LA chapter because mm -hmm. it was happening. It was rolling, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then a couple of months later, uh, that summer, um, I was, I said, you know, I love Los Angeles, but I live in Long Beach and we got problems here too. So I hosted a party here in my house, uh, and cooked some, uh, uh, red lentil, vegetarian okay. chili right, and some right. cornbread and, um, what did I make? I made some dessert, something or other and rolled out and, and, you know, invited some friends over, some African-American friends over to just circle up and to eat and to commune and to talk about 
what were we seeing, hearing, feeling, thinking about the moment? Because that moment, just like this moment, I felt under attack and the people I knew felt under attack for being black, period. For just being black. Because that that right after that, then we had Mike Brown and Tamir Rice Mm -hmm. and, you know, all all of that was just like, what is going on? And it's not, it's not the attacks on, these are attacks on our babies. These are attacks on our young people. These are people under 19 years old. Mm -hmm. It's just like, what is going on? You know, it's an assault. It's an assault on our generations. We're on It's an assault now, too. But that felt like, that felt like, what is going on? It, that felt to me, in some ways, it felt like what it was, which was also a response to, I think some of it was a response to, uh, I believe, Obama's presidency. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like, it was crazy, like, white backlash. You know, um, white angry backlash. Um, you know, and what do you do about that when you are from a population that's only 13% in the country? Uh, what do you do about that? You know, and it doesn't matter. It could be one. I show my black butt up in a room full of white people, and all of a sudden, there's a whole lot of black people in here. Because <laughs> I'm there, yeah. and I'm dark, uh-huh. and I, 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 I don't, I stand out because yeah. of, of, of my phenotype. Uh, and maybe because of my personality energy too. I don't know. I've been told that, but I take that as some BS. Uh, when people are uncomfortable with my existence yeah, is what that is. I get that. And so that's, it feels like this moment feels a lot like people are once again, I mean, that's our, that's our, that's our truth and our fact here in America, but it clearly feels like the discomfort has got, has turned to, to some kind of violence. Anyway, the inception of the chapter came from, that feeling. And so we gathered up here and and then, you know, we got rolling and we found that there were some other folks who had also uh, started, you know, rolling together uh, in the name of Black Lives Matter. So we joined forces. Um, and since that was the early days, early mm-hmm. inceptions of the organization, and you know, I, you know, folks here in Long Beach might know this, it was, it was a little bumpy at points because we had to clarify that as an organization, Black Lives Matter is Black-led. Mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter is Black-led. And Black Lives Matter as a Black-led organization seeks to have the voices of those who have been most marginalized and or be in complete and utter service of those who have been marginalized, of those who are marginalized, meaning our houseless population, mm-hmm. our trans brothers and sisters, um, our... Um, our folks who have mental illness, our folks who have addiction problems, all of that, because those are the people who so often get abused by police uh, and live in, live in places and positions where they're over police, where, the, where, 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 where they're targeted, even if they're just innocent, minding their business, living their life. It's being. You know, so we, mm-hmm. it's being. There's people just being out there, and that's a problem. And that's it a is a problem. Definite problem. Again, as I said earlier, our existence is a problem. <laughs> yeah. For, for too many people, our existence is a problem. Wow. Like to understand that it came from just a feeling and a reaction and a gathering. That's organizing, <laughs> and that's happened organically that way. And now we're here. Wow. Yeah. That's well, think about think about even the uh, Black Lives Matter. I mean. 
Patrice and Opal and Alicia, our founders, were on the on were text messaging and posting on Facebook and such the night uh, leading up to the verdict and the night of the verdict. And somewhere in that conversation, Patrice said, hashtag Black Lives Matter. Right? So we were birthed as a hashtag in response to what to the verdict of Trayvon Martin. Right. So that's why when people say now, oh, you know, everything in the world now, but be a good or bad or sideways or whatever, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. And it, we don't own all of that. But Black Lives Matter is both, um, it's a hashtag, it's a truism, and it's an organization. So that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing that it's a hashtag, it's a truism that clearly after the, after the, the taking of George Floyd, People, we've spent seven years. People understand that Black Lives Matter. People hit the streets. We didn't have to say, That's nobody was exactly. waiting for us to yeah. say. Yeah. So it was mm-hmm. like, bam, people hit the streets and they had their signs. Yeah. And they, and they had their shirts on. And they had gone. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> so that's that's also organizing because you know sometimes when you're as an organizer, you're working hard on stuff, you pushing, you pulling, you're dragging, and then all of a sudden, bam, something cataclysmic happens, and and you just it's just that moment of crying. It's like, okay, it was not all in vain. Those periods when it felt like nobody was listening, those periods when it felt like uh, people didn't understand. Look at what happened. People were listening. People mm-hmm. did understand to to their varying levels. They understood exactly. Understand. Yeah, yeah. You know, to uh-huh. their varying levels. And I, me, with varying levels, because before all this happened, I thought I had an understanding of what BLM was doing. Like you know, I'm in DSA. I organize with Ground Game. I feel like I'm you know been doing this a couple of years. I sort of understand the players and what's going on. But when the uprisings happened. And to see like a 17 year old white girl tell me to my face that black lives matter. And then she explains to me why it matters and why she's here and how she has to tell her parents and her uncles about black lives. And I'm just like, how, like what's going on right now? Like, and to be like, this is more than just a hashtag. It's more, it's a truism, a hashtag, but combined into one. And it's effective because it's all that combined into one. Because if it was just an organization, just a hashtag, it would not be an effective push against the system. The fact that it exists outside the system, it's an entity that's sort of combined in a, re- in a weird way, something new. That's why it's so effective against the system. Because to be part of it and recreate it, it would not have been this far, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that, you bring up an interesting point. So that's what we call respectability politics, right? Uh, we tell everybody up front, we don't do respectability politics. Um, you know, it, you know, Black Lives Matter. And I have to say, it was a thing for me to grow into this because I grew up in respectability politics. I work for a labor union. We do things in a certain way. Mm-hmm. We want to have our message out there and not have the message be, oh, these people are disruptive because then we think our membership won't listen to this, right? Well, BLM is like, <laughs> you know, especially in the early days, you know, the early days of taking over the freeways and stuff like that. I have to say, I walked in complete and utter discomfort, but I went. No doubt. And I, and I did it. as when I did it, when I was available to do it, because it is, I have a duty, and I believe in our Asada Shakur affirmation, which we say at the end of our, 
our, our meetings, which is that I have a duty and I am here to, I am my brother and my sisters and my siblings keeper, I am. And so if this is what we have to do, if I have to be uncomfortable, imagine the discomfort of those family members who've lost their loved ones. Mm. My discomfort is nothing in comparison to that because I'll get over it. I'll go home, go to bed, wake up tomorrow and carry on. They have lost their loved one forever. So that discomfort and people who are inconvenienced by it, you sit in that for a minute and imagine what these family members felt like. You'll get over it. Yeah. They won't ever get over that. Uh. Right? The BLM is not into respectability politics. And, and that, that causes some friction for some people. You know, we get a lot of mail and a lot of uh, Facebook messaging and stuff. Like I just responded to one the other day with some dude telling us that we ought to be doing book bag giveaways. <laughs> and we ought to be we ought to be neighborhood cleanups and and why are we doing those things? And I said, bruh, we ain't mad at you for doing that. We completely exactly. support people doing that. I have participated in a lot of that stuff. I've even organized that stuff. That's cool. But that's not what we're doing. <laughs> you know, there's more than one path to the things put to there's more than one path to black liberation and freedom. There ain't no just this is the way. And that's how yep. folks we get into fighting with each other about, no, I'm right, no, I'm right, no, we all right. As long as your ultimate aim, your principles say, that you are working for the, your principles and your actions, say that you're working for the freedom and liberation of black people and thereby the freedom of everybody. Mm -hmm. As long as that's where you are, then you do what you do, boo, that's your lane, right? Our lane is state violence and police brutality. Our language is educating and reforming people and working in that direction. And clearly we've done that. And we're doing that here in Long Beach. And it's, it's, a, it's way over time in this racist town. Yeah. Let's go. So now we're back to Long Beach. And so BLM is heavily involved in the people's budget. Yeah. And how, like, the budget is a moral document. I've heard that, like, the way that the city spends money it's a reflection of what it thinks of its population. And yeah, can you expand yeah. on that a little? I moved here, geez, I moved to Long Beach in 95. In 95. And the following year, um, I got involved with the Long Beach Young Dems. And I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable in that space. Um, because I had my, I started my professional career working for the DCCC as a national campaign staffer. And what I had come to realize was that people had a lot of words coming out of their mouth and they could write a lot of nice words, but they didn't understand what any of that meant and they weren't committed to any of it. And the black folk were a political pawn. That is what I came to understand after three years of working for the DCCC and finding myself here in California. And so to get involved with the Long Beach Young Girls for me, it was because a friend invited me. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really know anybody. I'm, you know, looking to get to know people. So this, this would be a space for that. Mm -hmm. I got in that space. And for me, the, I, all of those old feelings came back. Now, they may or may not be true because people were well-intentioned and, and I'm still friends with them and they, people have gone on to do great things. So I'm not putting shade on them and their work at all. I'm just saying that that was not for me. That was not for me. And what I realized, and this is part of why I enjoy working for union and being a union rep, because as I tell my members, I don't work for these people. I can say what I want to say. 
I do what I want to do, right? And I love that. That's also the attitude of BLM. It's like, we don't have to play your game to get what we need, right? And the people's budget is an announcement in that same vein, which we don't have to play your game to get what we need. This is what we need. So, so 95, 96, 97, 98, the 2000s, what I understood about Long Beach was crazy development planning. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Pike had closed, uh, the Navy had left in the 80s, so it was like the city was trying to reinvent itself. And it was reinventing itself as um, um, high-end residency, so lots of development, but also lots as a tourist attraction, right? So the convention center and all the, we have the conventions and then all of the, the, the summer festivals, which I'm missing this summer, yeah. right? All, all of that. But definitely the development. I, re- I remember Dan Baker, who used to be council member for the second district. Um, he and I were, we were associates, so I knew Dan. And I would go to meetings, and Dan would talk about development and all of this. And, and, and I was thinking, well, where do poor people go live? <laughs> you know, where do people go live? You know, and, and what about this budget is addressing... Uh, Anaheim, and what about this budget is addressing the Wrigley neighborhood? And what about this budget is addressing what's happening over in the MLK neighborhood? What about this budget is addressing, uh, I can't think, the Washington neighborhood? What about this budget is, a, I mean, you know, I just couldn't see how, you know, you could drive around this town, you could see the disparities. Like you might be on one block and bam, mm-hmm. and across the street is a completely different thing. It's like, what the that? But, you know, this side of Long Beach, there's a lot of development. And so the people's budget, I think, really spotlights the 6th District. Okay. Spotlights the 1st District. Spotlights the 7th District. Spotlights parts of the 8th District. Spotlights the 9th District, particularly. Spotlights parts of the 2nd District, too, in terms of the needs of, you know, working class people. The needs of people. So literally just like bringing the needs of people, making a document and being like, this is what we need. Yeah. And, and some people have said, you know, because people, we're, we're in, a, we're in a, uh, a frame of thinking about things, right? Again, the respectability frame when people say, oh, well, what's the dollar amount to that? What's the cost of that? That's not my job. That's not my job. No, I can maybe look at the city budget and figure it out. And we have. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, but, but that's not my job. My job is to tell you, elected people, what I need. Your job is to make it happen. That's all I care about. I don't need to know all those other details. I really, I no. We're telling you, and not, and we didn't. We shouldn't. The the, the the thing is, we shouldn't even have to tell them. There's no reason. I'm pointing to this because I have the. Uh, <laughs> we shouldn't. We we shouldn't have to tell our city leaders what we need. They know what we need, but what they're listening to are the, the moneyed interests of the developers and the, the, uh, the chambers of commerce, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But they did a study last, was it last year or two years ago now, the equity report. It told them everything that's happening wow. with the city. We forecasted for them if they were paying attention, what would happen in a, in a pandemic like COVID. Wow. Okay, because it talked about who was poor, where the poor folks are, and what their issues were, or, or are, not were, but are. 
I mean, we know that 63% of, of, of black mothers in this, in this town are housing impacted. And I'm not saying black women, I am saying black mothers. So that means two, three, four kids, whatever. They're housing, housing in danger, so to say. And if you're housing in danger, then you're also food insecure because mm-hmm. the two of them run hand in hand. Um, but they knew that from the equity report. They knew, America knows that there's a health disparity issue. That's what the Affordable Care Act is all about. I mean, it's like, it's like not anything that's new to them. It just says that there wasn't enough leadership or vision in that direction to move in that direction. And more importantly, the people were not as forceful and, and organized as I think we're getting to be in the city to push and claim for the things that we want. I mean, we, we have been on it. If I have to listen to another council meeting or huh. a commission meeting or committee meeting, I mean, we have really dug in there and been on it. Um, and gotten a lot of thank yous for that because the good people who sit on our city commissions, um, the good people in the, in the equity office, the good people in the health and human services department are like thankful for the help from the public. So we public are doing our part so we can hold our elected officials accountable. Oh yeah. Like I'm a better person, a better leftist going to BLM events because there's knowledge to be had there. There are facts to be had there. And like the stuff that we hear about, about the budget, I've never heard at a protest before. I've never heard at a rally before. And to know that the conjunction is like, now y'all are here. These are the people who are willing to come out in the streets and hear some information about what we're doing. And that marriage right there is just, again, that's something that didn't exist before. I, like, I, didn't, I never saw that, me personally. And that's something that you can't just go to a website and get that exists outside of the system that we have to come together during COVID to get these certain, you know, these certain facts about our own city, yeah. about our own city. Aren't you being humble? I think DSA is a very important force here. Thank you. Um, you know, bring bring a necessary counter to the two party system, and really, this town is a one party system, right? Because this yeah. is a county, California, yeah. in a lot of ways, is a is a one party system. Mm-hmm. So now we get to the wings within that that left side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I I, I think because at, at our root we are. I have not to use this word again. We're about discomfort. We are about discomfort. Uh, and we are about disruption. Um, and, but not disruption for the sake of disruption, right? A lot of folks want to hit the streets and just be out there stamping and carrying on and waving flags and, and, and banners and, you know, get all fired up on that energy. And then what? Mm. And then what that's going to really change the system? Right. And so we are engaged in changing the system and we don't think that we have to be labeled as a party in order to do that. Um, Because then when you get sucked into party politics, and in this case, I mean, you get sucked into Democratic Party politics or Republican Party politics, then it's all about because, listen, I was a political organizer. Exactly. It's all about. I got to go, I tell you, I'm going to tell you the story because it's so true. Um, I was a political organizer and it was a fundraiser. And, you know, it's kind of the thing like, 
everybody needs to be there because this is our chosen candidate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so-and-so from this organization is definitely going to be there. <laughs> They're going to need to see you because you're going to want their support for this later. All right. And yada, yeah, right? So I go to this fundraiser and I take my brother with me. And my brother is in there and he's like, all right, all right, it's some good eats. It's some good eats. Let's go give me some food, you know, give me some shrimp, give me a little beef on the stick, you know, give me a little wontons, you know. Right. Those are dope. Go give, me a, go give me a beer over here. He was like, yeah. He said, the food is good, sis. He said, it's good. He said, but I'm going to tell you what, nobody in here wants to be here. Ah. Boom. And I said, correct, because I don't want to be here, but I got to be here. Right. I mean, that was that was that's the brilliance of my little brother, I have to tell you. But he just summed that up just like that. And I had just never quite thought about it like that. But when he said that, I was like, that's exactly the energy up in here. That's exactly the energy up in here. I don't want to do that. That's not how I want to be involved. It's not how I want to spend my time. I want to spend my time making real impact. And one of the ways you make real impact is to be in a real relationship with real people who have experienced something horrific. I'm also was raised Christian, and I believe what Jesus taught, which is, and how Jesus did his organizing, which is among the least of these, that is where I should be. Now, I'm not perfect in that either, um, but I believe in being of service to folk, because when you all, all what is it, um, uh, I forget, I'm going to mess it up now, is it all ties, all ties lift all boats? Um, or the idea of the weakest link in the chain. You can have the biggest chain in the world, mm-hmm. but if that chain got weak links because it was not it was not made with good product, it ain't go home. Mm-hmm. It ain't go home. And our society keeps falling down. We keep having these moments. We keep because we're not taking care of each other. We ha- we're not doing our moral obligation and taking care of each other so that we can all be better for it. Yeah, and same here. I grew up Christian, and the more I get into like this, I call it just radical love, mm-hmm. because we have to just and it's very simple as taking care of each other. And I bring this up all the time. Yo, Jesus was a socialist. The people that he rolled with and how he rolled with, like that proves <laughs> the type of person that he was. Period and. How that Dude, is they were lost. St- they were robbers. They were uh, adulterers. They were mm. prostitutes. They were strong women. I mean, it was it was yeah. That was the crew that he was rolling with. So if that's the crew that he's rolling with, how is it now we're into respectability politics? And that's I think uh, I'm listening to this is like why I jive more and more with BLM is like yeah I, I'm not into respectability politics. I'm into making people discomfort. Like just the fact that when I just start talking, I could tell people are just starting to be uncomfortable and me just smiling. I just keep going. It's like, it's okay. You can be uncomfortable. I'm going to keep talking and keep talking truth to power. And that's fine too. And taking that and using that as a force to push people, as a force to push people's brains. I was telling Jordan earlier, I was on set with an older actress and she came down and started talking about Joe Biden. And at some point in the conversation, I looked over my shoulder. I was like, oh, fuck Joe Biden. And she's like, wait, what? Yeah, fuck Jamal Harris, too. Like, like I'm going to vote for him, probably. But, like, I'm going to let you all know what I think about them, too. And at the end of it, she's like, hey, do you have, like, a TV show or anything I could, like, 
<clears throat> follow you somewhere on, on social media. And even I was surprised because I was like, I'm not not going to say my piece. I'm going to say the truth, but yet still draw people in, even though she came starting the conversation about Joe Biden. You know, and it's possible. Yeah, people need our voices, right? They need our voices because if without without radical voices, then all you get are the voices that serve the interests of capitalists. Yes, I'm going to say that. <laughs> the voices that serve the interests of capitalists. And we know that the, what capitalism is about is consumption. In order for you to have more to consume, that means I have less to consume. That means in order for you to convince me that my scoop of rice compared to your bowl of rice is equal, you have to disillusion me in my head about everything else going on around me. Like you have to tell me that these two people are the best that we can do. Ain't no way that's true. No. That's not true at no. all. And you have to tell me that in order for me to have a protest in the street, now I got to get your permission to do that. You have to tell me that in order for me to have my voice heard, it has to be published in the LA Times or it has to get your approval or your sanction. That's what you have to tell me. And what I understand now is that for my liberation and the liberation of my people, I cannot use that tools of the master, exactly. the tools of capitalism to do my work. I can't clean them and resharpen them and reuse them. I can't, I can't take them out of the shed as they are and use them. I just got to make my own tools mm -hmm. and build what I need to do with my own tools based on what I know I need. You know, not from you. I can't ask your permission because it doesn't serve you to help me to do that. Doesn't serve you. So back to the people's budget. You know, this is this is this is a reflection of what folk really need and what people. If I, if it wasn't on, if it, if if it weren't in need and if it, it was being addressed by the city and the people that we elect, then we wouldn't have had to do a people's budget. No doubt. You know, uh, and I think the way that we're organizing, moving together in a in a very strong coalition, uh, is is super effective. And bringing together a, a group of people that, you know, the, the, the interests of capital want to keep us fighting each other. And that's black and brown. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, that's black and brown. So, but we work, we are working together. I'm going to let you ask a question. Yeah, it's all good. I love it. <laughs> well, all right. Garcia, Robert Garcia, like, says Black Lives Matter, mm. but still has a budget that funds the police heavily. Like, how do you square that? Or is there something to be squared? Or, like, what's the criticism of Garcia even using those words, you know? Right. Well, I mean, change doesn't come overnight. And you can't expect this man has been operating in a certain way. He's handpicked to be our mayor by previous mayors and the Chambers of Commerce and the developers and the, and the building establishment. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not shocked. Who's shocked? I'm not hmm. shocked. Anybody who's shocked only started paying attention yesterday, and that's not me. So, um, you know, they for a long time here in the city, this, this, this is how they pander to black folk, right? This is, this is the pandering to black folks. Oh, well, we talked to black leaders. Who? What black leaders did you talk to? Oh, we talked to this organization. So, I, I, they, and no shade on them. I don't want to throw shade at anybody. I don't want anybody to think I'm throwing shade, but truth is truth. Um, they were having a lot of relationship 
with the Ministerial Alliance here in Long Beach. And when you get down into the Ministerial Alliance, you know, that's the, the those those folks went into respectability politics. So they're only they're not gonna push against police violence because they're being funded by police or they have programs that are funded by police. And mm-hmm. these programs are employing people in the community. And there's a whole relationship mm-hmm. there that has some good to it. But the bad part is it's getting nothing done. It's getting nothing done. It's making politicians feel like they accomplished something. And is making them say, oh, well, I talk to the black community. What black community you talk to? Because when I go look at the black community here, uh, people still need stuff. And they don't know you. <laughs> and you don't know them. You can't name anybody. Name me a name. Name me a, name me a name that doesn't have a title in front of you. Name, name me that name. Who is that? So he got caught on that even uh, when he was a, a confronted by folks uh, in June you know, in front of city council, and he says, and people are telling him what they need. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to have some community forms and I'm going to talk to our black leaders here in Long Beach. And I was like, you are surrounded by black people, <laughs> real life black people telling you what they need. And you'll say to them, I'm going to go talk to them. What the, what? I was confused by that. I was like, are you serious? So I think he just, and he has since admitted, he has since admitted that he, he, that he needed to expand his circle of black folks and that he gotcha. just, it was, and it was not deep enough and that, it, but he was following the lead of what others had set before him, right? Because he's chosen, he's picked, he's fully supported in that work. Um, and so that's, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, I think he's learning. He's learning, and they're all learning. They're all learning. It's this, this town has been uh, sleepy and operating in a way that suits the capitalist white establishment. <laughs> but yeah, no, so, so Garcia, Garcia is, you know, he reminds me of a lot of people that I know who you meet, and they're good people, and their ambition is to be politicians. Um, I don't have the ambition to be a politician. I have an ambition to make real social change and impact. I have an ambition that when I'm laying on my deathbed, I can truly say I did all that I could do. Uh, and I put, and in doing that, I put my body and my time and my heart uh, in a direction of making life better, not just for me, but for the generations that come beyond, beyond after me and for their generations and their generations. And I don't know that a politician thinks that way. Uh, and so, you know, you know Garcia is, uh, I, I think he has a lot to learn still. I think he needs to really work on his relationships with the black community mm-hmm. um, and with black leaders other than those with titles in front of their names and congregations. Um, because, uh, yeah, that's just not deep enough. And that's why Black Lives Matter is disruptive to folks. It's disruptive. First of all, it's women. It's, it, it has in its tenets that we're open to queer folk and trans folk and houseless folks and meant all the people that we try to push to the back and we make uh, pretend programs to service them. <laughs> pretend we, programs. We, we, we want to, we want to, and we're calling for the century of these people. and. That's, that's, 
you know, that's disruptive because that's not the conversation with the Chamber of Commerce. That's not the conversation with the developers. That's not the conversation with conventioneers. Uh, that's not the conversation with the um, with the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's that's <laughs> not the conversation. It's not it's not even the conversation with with the Pride Festival, right? Because that's a, become a big commercial thing too. Uh, you know, no one's yeah. It, it's it's uh, ooh, I'm gonna say I can't. I don't remember the name. I don't remember the name of the song. But there's a there's a song that's popular in Latin America and some Latin American countries about the dark grandmother. Mm. Right, you love Abuela, but she's the dark grandmother hidden in the kitchen. She never comes out to be a part of anything. You're ashamed of her, but you love her, and that's a little bit of what it feels like um, when you, when you, when you. That's what it feels like when you push against the system. Sometimes. Gotcha, and you could, and even like realizing as a kid growing up, like where, why was I angry? Like why? Did certain people rub me the wrong way? Why, when I was talking to certain institutions, I wasn't happy and didn't even know how to put that into words or how to formulate that. But now as I get older, it's just like, yo, that's the pressure of the system and you being you is getting pushed back by your existence in certain yeah. places is getting pushed back. And that's just the way it is growing up here. Well, it's discomfort. I mean, it's like we started this conversation and I said, you know, I, I live this, I, you, you know, colorism is real. Racism is a thing and colorism is a thing too, right? I'm a dark-skinned person. I show up in room. I operate in a lot of white spaces, especially professionally. And it doesn't mean I'm uncomfortable in those spaces. It just means that sometimes people make me know or have made me know that I stand out to them. There's something mm-hmm. about my, it's like that song, um, one of these things is not like the other, <laughs> you know, from Sesame Street, right? Yeah. And it's so, so it's not, you know, it's, it's being in spaces where I'm not being judged, as Martin Luther King said, by the content of my character or by the contributions that I can make or by my intelligence um, or by whatever else I might bring into the room that's positive and needed, uh, but, but simply by something I can't. Help! Exactly. I can't do nothing about. Exactly. Yeah. It's just the way we are. Yeah. You know. All right. So there's reforming the police. There's defunding the police. There's redistributing the funds. Like all this is just in the ether, in the air. Just like you were talking about before. Like BLM is more than just a hashtag. It's also a truism. And is defunding the police getting into that realm? Or is it something else? What do you have to say about that debate? The defund, defunding the police, man, it is necessary. Okay, it is necessary. In the listen, I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. Up until about fifteen years or so ago, I used to engage in a lot of conversations with people about what is wrong with black people. Mm. What's wrong with black people? Why can't we this and why can't that? Why we don't have this and why we don't have that? And that was a reflection. That was a reflection really of, of my ignorance and my not understanding what systemic racism was or is, right? So when you learn and understand what systemic racism is, and it's so systemic racism is like the matrix, right? You know, when we're, when we're taught history, we're taught uh, things in, uh, well, this happened at this date, this happened at that date, 
And then this happened that we're not taught all of the matrix of things that happened in between there that made that come together. Mm -hmm. And so, you don't, and that's, that, that's why we don't understand systemic racism. And I think that to BLM's credit, our conversation about systemic racism, our conversation about police violence and brutality and explaining to people that police brutality and systemic racism is existing housing, existing education, existing all of these ways yes. has helped. Then if you take that and you say to, and you understand, then Michelle Alexander's book, Master, uh, The New Jim Crow, bam, that was like, my blew my head off because that explains so much to me about what was happening in the black community, right? That's another example of how systemic racism all comes together. But then also, if you also understand how, for me, I work in, I work for an education union, and we're always saying, you know, that um, always comparing the dollars in education to the dollars in the prison industrial complex. Exactly. And as the dollars in the prison industrial complex went up, I mean, what went down? Education dollars. Mm -hmm. So they're feeding off of something. They're feeding off of education. And we know that education is a tool that really transforms societies and individuals and communities in positive ways. Yep. So over the last 20, 30 years, the police have just started to consume and assume things and jobs and responsibilities that do not belong to them because they have been, and that's, this is all the, um, this is all, this is all, well, I, I can't even, it's not even fair to say that, but in modern times, I start with Richard Nixon, uh, and then you go to Joe Biden and the damn crime bill uh -huh. and you Bill Clinton and the uh -huh. whole uh, tougher on crime, uh -huh. all of that era is the modern era for all of that stuff. Right. But you got to If you if you. The, so the police have assumed responsibilities don't belong to them. They are uh, instead of counselors and social workers and nurses in our schools, we have resource officers <laughs> and and. And instead of instead of arts programs and music programs and uh, diverse athletic programs, we have school resource officers, which means we got police in our schools. We have them arresting children for doing things that children do. We have them beating up children, little children, little kids, grown men, beating up kids in school for discipline stuff instead of they're going to talk to the principal or, or getting some counseling. There's no funding for these things. So when there's no funding, you got to deal with things quickly, harshly, deal, put it away, right? Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be in those places. We have police in too many places relied upon to deal with our homeless community. And what is that about? That was about Reagan defunding mental health programs. So yes. Now you got a bunch of people on the street yes. who don't have mental health, don't have mental health uh, services, and our mental health departments are woefully underfunded, right? I mean, it's, it's, they have been very good at assuming and inserting themselves in places and making the rest of us believe that they should be there, mm -hmm. right? Because we, don't, because we don't have enough social work. We don't have enough behavioral specialists. We don't have enough counselors. And people go to school for these jobs, and these jobs don't pay as well as being a police officer. Being a either, cop. Right? Yeah. But these jobs are important. These are the jobs that keep society up and running and healing society as opposed to just punishing and being punitive and, like, where are we literally putting the money? Yeah. Into the punitive yes, But part? you have to care about that. 
right? You have to care about that. But if you, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's a disconnect between white America, white middle class America, and everybody else. Yeah. It's, it's a huge disconnect. I don't know what they, what they pay attention to, but I, I'll give you Facebook? <laughs> so we were having a, we were having, um, I was having a conversation with someone recently. She was purchasing one of our BLM t-shirts at an event. And she says, oh, well, when we get Trump out of office, I said, well, you know, that's not a guaranteed thing. And she said, what do you mean? People are going to turn out vote. I said, have you not heard of, of voter, voting, voter corruption? I mean, they have been working very effectively for the last 10 years to make sure that black folks yeah. and poor folks don't have access to voting possibly. And she said, I don't know anything about that. I'm going to have to go read about that. And I was like, ay, 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 where have you been? What, really, seriously? Because that is like real shit to me. <laughs> That's like, you know, but, you know, it's what people pay attention to. It's, it's if, it, if, if your life has always been smooth and you've never had any conflict and you don't know anybody else who's ever had any issues, and if, if you've never had to think about your race, and you don't even know, you if you know, like, there's a question I was asked once, which is, what does your race feel like? And another question huh. is, where in your body do you feel your race? Right? I can answer those questions. But a lot of people can't answer those questions, especially people who've never had to really think about their race because it's not an issue for them. Because they don't walk in a room and are judged by that. They don't not get work or housing or anything else because of their race. You just never had to think about it. It's not a thing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's always in the back thing. of my mind. It's so, like, yeah. White, yeah, so, you know, so then you don't that. think about, you know, so when you see uh, people, your people, uh, people's voting rights being attacked, you don't think about that in the same way. You go, oh, well, that's just political shenanigans. No. That is that is the life of my ancestors. That's to me. That's what that is. Because my people died. My people got bit by dogs. Had hoses turned on them. Were terrorized trying to have the right to vote. And we know that America is about the land and the vote. If you you need one of both mm-hmm. to have any influence in this country. And the thing that we can all have is the vote. No doubt. So what's uh, BLM's view on like electoral politics? We don't do electoral policy. Just straight up, no. Not as an organization, no. Okay. Folk, folk uh, individually mm-hmm. are free to endorse whoever you want, but as an organization, we do not do electoral policy. Um, as I like to tell people, we have interests, not political friends. Gotcha. We have yeah. interests. If you're working with us on something, cool, we like you. Right? As an organization. Now, individually, yeah. I can be your friend all day long, but uh-huh. about this organization... That's a different thing. We have we have our interests. Our interest is the health and well being of black people and to, to expose systemic ra- systemic racism and violence and to end police brutality. Cool. All right. We're almost done here. What is like BLM's vision for the alternate of the police, alternative to the police, let me say? Well, I mean, it ain't going to happen overnight, right? Yeah, yeah of course. It's, it's a long-term thing. It's a, it's a movement to community responsibility and collective responsibility and neighborliness, you might say. I don't know about you, but my grandparents talk about a time when they didn't lock their doors at night because 
They weren't worried about it, even though that everybody was poor and whatever. They weren't worried about locking the door because people didn't do that to each other because you understood that there was a mutual aid happening within communities and among individuals, right? Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, some folks didn't steal, but of course they did. But then there's also community, um, there's, there's, I want to, don't want to use the word that keeps coming to mind, so I have to find another word. There's also, you have responsibility to the community, and when you violate that, then the community has a response to let you know that you violated that. And that doesn't mean we throw you away. That doesn't mean we put you in jail for 20 years because you stole a loaf of bread or something. That means you have to pay penance. Like our Native Americans have a lot of traditions and a lot of indigenous tribes have a tradition of you pay penance back to the people that you harm. You did it. We love you still. We're not throwing you away, you know, but you pay penance. And that doesn't mean jail. So, I mean, Mm. this is, um, you know, some people might say it's utopia, but this is a, it's a, it's a, value shift it's a culture shift so right now we value the the tough father that's why we pay so much money to the police department we value punishment we value punishment what happens if we value each other and our collective humanity that's the goal that's the goal and it it, people do it i mean look i tell people you know people say oh well what is it i said go to irvine go to certain communities in irvine they mm-hmm. live like that. Yeah. They don't have they don't have policing. They look out for each other. Now, I mean, you know, not quite like I'm saying, but but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, an activist told me it was like, "Yo, abolishment of police already exists in gated communities." Yeah, <laughs> they keep the cops out and they handle each other. And when everybody has everything that they need, wow, you don't need cops. See how that Correct. works. You see how Correct. that works. Yeah. Correct. Or or the difference between when you drive around certain communities and. You know, it might look like people got their whole house open so you can see, you know, with the windows open and the mm-hmm. doors open or the door, you know, uh the bicycles in the front yard, and the car unlocked, windows down and all that. People say, oh, these people are crazy over here. And I said, no, they just have everything they need so they don't have to take it from somebody else. Yep. And that's what we all, that's what mm-hmm. we all should be striving for so that we're not down here doing the crab in the barrel thing or or the you or or the oppression Olympics is the other thing. Like mm. well, my people had to suffer this, so we should deserve. We deserve that. No, we all deserve that. We all deserve. That. Yeah, this like in this country, there's literally enough to go around. Enough resources dude, to dude, go around. They just figured out how to give people money for the COVID, and they knew that wasn't enough. We give we give countries. Billions of dollars every year. We give uh, a militarized consultants billions of dollars every year. We we go to we make war on folks just so we can keep them in check. Trillions of dollars every yep. year. We got Blackwater that's made more money than anybody, and that's Betsy DeVos's brother. Yeah, you know, they made trillions of dollars. There is plenty of money. It's a matter of values and where you decide to put those resources. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. There's yeah. plenty of money. United States is the richest country on the planet ever. Ever. Yeah. So it's not of like we ain't got it. Y'all got it. Mm-hmm. Wanna give it up? All right. Last question. Last question. Call to action. What's the call to action for listeners? This will be out like in a week or so. What's yeah. the call to action? So the call in a in a week or so. 
the budget may have been voted on mm -hmm. already, so we'll be past that process. And so I would say the call to action is to find an organization in Long Beach that's a part of the People's Budget Coalition, get involved in that organization, and stay with us because we've only just begun to push the city to give to the, to provide to the people what they need. They've made some promises and they've moved in a certain direction with this current, with the, with the, 2020, with the 2021 budget. But now we got to be thinking about the 2022 budget. We got to be thinking about getting permanent funding for our health and human, uh, health and human development uh, department for black infant health programs for mental health programs. We got to be thinking about getting um, more team, more heart teams through our fire department or through the health department, whichever way that is. We have to be thinking about funding those things that really um, are, are, are for the betterment of the community. We have to be thinking about making sure that our homeless folks have housing, that we have mental health counselors, that we have social workers, that we have behavioral specialists, that we have um, um, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to say that, that, that we have reparations Amen. and we have reparations to the communities that have been most harmed by this tough father uh, politics, by the war on drugs, for example, and the mm -hmm. devastation that that over-policing happened. We have to make sure we have real reconciliation, uh, which is an apology to the people for the violence perpetrated on the people in the name of capitalism, in the name of politics. There needs to be some, some rights, some wrongs need to be made right. And so I believe that through our, 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 our People's Budget Coalition, we're mm -hmm. gonna stay focused on that. So I invite folks to- You muted yourself. Yeah, I invite folks to get involved with Black Lives Matter, with um, Long Beach Forward, with the uh, Long Beach Immigration Rights Coalition, and I know I'm not going to name some folks, and that's no shade on anybody. I'm just not remembering it all right now. But get involved with the organizations associated with the People's Budget, because we got the next budget. We don't go to sleep. We don't go to sleep. Get involved. We, we keep going. Yep. Get involved. Get involved. Get involved. Organize. 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 We'll have plenty of links in the show notes, so you could click. You could link to BLM LA, BLM LBC, BLM National, get down, put your name on the list. And Audrina, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on and doing what you do. Much yeah. appreciated. You inspire thank me personally. You. Like, uh, you're you. being too generous. Mm -hmm. I, but I, I, forgive me because, you know, I like to chop it up and I got a lot of thoughts and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what we're about. <laughs> and yeah, we'll do this again. We'll do this again. Yeah. Yeah, I should have, have y'all, we should reciprocate, have y'all on my show. And then I'm, I'm starting a podcast with a friend of mine, if we can ever coordinate, get it together. It's called mm -hmm. Angry Afros. So <laughs> that ought to be fun. Yeah. Let me know if you need any recording help or whatever, what I do. Cool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right on. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. Have a good Peace, one. Peace, love, and soul. Bye. <laughs> Bye. That was awesome. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. This is Vic. This is Miles. This is Jordan. And don't forget to ask yourself, wait, why, why am I, I talking? talking?